Welcome to the Citizen Ben podcast. We are coming up to a summer of travel. So what better subject to talk about than family travel? And we have two brilliant super mum journalists with us to tell us all about where to go, where to stay, tips and tricks. So I am delighted to welcome them to our podcast today. Hello. It's so lovely to be here. Thank you. Um, So I'm Deborah Brett, a by background fashion writer slash editor, um, started my career at the Times newspaper and moved on to magazines like Harper's Bazaar and Elle and Red and doing photo shoots and beauty and fashion and writing amongst lots of other things. And now I'm segueing into ceramics. I've become a ceramicist as well as an internet uh, Instagram style um, icon, dare I say. Style icon, absolutely you should dare I say. (laughs) Thank you, Deb, for joining. And super mum of three. And super mum of three, which is really what I call my full-time job when people say, what do you do? I say, I'm a a mum and then I tend to work at about one o'clock in the morning. And Rosalind Wykley, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us about yourself. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, I so know that feeling from Deborah of working at one in the morning. Um, I'm a travel and star writer. I've worked for or written for titles such as Connie Nast Traveller, Tatler, The Telegraph, The Financial Times, Country and Townhouse and The Wedding Edition. And I have an 11 month old. So I um, regularly put her to bed and then open my laptop and work until the early hours. Um, so I do know how that feels. Um, and yes, that tends to be my kind of full-time job. And then writing and editing is sort of what I do almost on the side, but but every day. Brilliant. Who plans the holidays in your households? Um, my husband. Interesting. Is that unusual? I think that's unusual. I think so. I think that we, I've been trying to be more proactive in delegation because it's something as an overachiever I tend to just say I'll do it because I do everything really fast and pretty well but I do a lot and so um, I designated much to the annoyance I think of my husband that he should be that person but he has really fallen in love with it and I think he's rather brilliant at it. That's so interesting because actually I'd say we're the same. I think it because I'm a travel journalist, I think my husband, he sort of, to begin with, felt a bit overwhelmed by taking on the travel side of things, just in case I'd be sort of, you know, um, not that enthused by his choices. But actually, because it's technically work for me, I quite like him to sort of organise it because otherwise it just feels like sort of constant work. It doesn't really feel like a holiday. Um, but his one sort of rule is that I don't, you know, when I go to a hotel that he's picked, I then relax rather than try and uncover stories about the hotel or about the people. And um, I think he got quite frustrated on our honeymoon, which he planned when I started interviewing basically all of the hotel managers and <laughs> sneaking off into parity to find a story, which I actually then wrote for Conde Nast Traveller after. Um, but but he likes to plan holidays to avoid that scenario. So, yeah. That's right. It's difficult to shake it when it's your industry. Yeah. <laughs> how far in advance do you plan your or does your do your husband's plan your holidays when it comes to family travel of course well we I mean when I say he plans money he does the sort of real detail planning um but the actual sort of decision making um is really really a, a a joint one and it's something that we don't actively sort of sit down and discuss it's more a ongoing conversation 
we, our holidays have really changed since our children are, are getting bigger. So we have three children, a son who's 14, and then two daughters, one of 12 and one of eight. And really for this up until recently, up until let's say COVID, um, we really did my childhood. So actually when I say he did all the planning, I suppose I did up until now. And then since COVID, he has taken over. Um, and really what we did was re reenacted my childhood, which was really idyllic. And I had an amazing time. And I suppose I wanted to give that to my children. So we really just repeated my, my youth. Yeah, I think, you know, with, with us, I think COVID changed everything. So we we were really lucky in 2020, we, we managed to get away a lot. Um, and that's before we had the baby. Um, because I'm quite last minute.com. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, I, I enjoy planning, but equally, as I say, because a lot of travel is also work, I sometimes quite like to take the opportunity just to go somewhere and be a bit more spontaneous rather than have it all sorted, which I appreciate is very hard to do when you've got three children and school holidays to kind of navigate around. But but while we don't, I think, you know, we're, we're going to try and be as spontaneous as possible. And I think the reason we were able to get away is because we really did just plan it so last minute. And that seems to have kind of stretched on into 2022. Um, and, you know, we tend to just sort of see where we're at, both with our work and and sort of various things in the diary and then, you know, plan for the following month. So talking about the different age groups, of course, you've got a planning aspect with children and school holidays and the younger ones. So I'm in the same position as you, Rosalind. You can take that little impromptu trip um, with all the, you know, the milk bottles and everything that comes with it, um, but a little bit more last minute. How do you find traveling? Okay, Deborah, how do you find traveling with three kids who sit, I mean, between and the, the teenager bracket almost. Do you think your travel plans have changed a lot over the years? You mentioned that you, just before this, you mentioned that you took your first city break with them because it's easier or, or the preferences have changed. Yeah, so, I mean, for me, I think that up until um, COVID, we really just did um, holidays in the same places. And that that kind of repetition really worked for us as a family because your, your holidays can often be quite short and therefore you don't want to spend your whole time maybe figuring everything out. There's something quite... Um, sort of cozy and uh, familiar when you arrive, let's say like when you go skiing, for example, we go to the same resort, which means you know how to get there, you know where the lift is, you know where to get your ski pass, you know where to rent your ski equipment, you know your favorite restaurants and the runs. So actually on day one, you almost go straight into your holiday rather than having maybe two or three days where you're having to sort of settle in. So it, it can be really comforting for children and, and confident building to have similar experiences but now they're getting older we really want to challenge them and um and really open the horizon so we've been so in fact we um my husband was very keen on the year of 2020 we coined it the year of adventure and of course it became a year of adventure for the whole world not just for us um but it really was meant to be a year of discovery so we had sort of decided that our kids were getting a bit older able to cope with maybe some new experiences and we wanted to get out of the the rut sometimes when you've got young children you do rely on familiarity you might go to your favorite park and you may go to your favorite restaurant on the weekend and you go to only that cinema and you see those friends and actually he was getting a little frustrated by 
um, actually everything being too similar. So we decided that we would have a year where everything that we did was a new experience. It didn't have to be a new travel experience, but it needed to be discovering also new things in our own city. So we would try out different types of food and different areas of London and um, different areas of the UK or Anyway, then COVID hit. And of course, that got thrown out of the window. So now those COVID sort of that year of 2020 has been, they've they've sort of amassed in a way. And suddenly we've got a whole year of 2022, which is a bit bonkers in kind of in the scope of traveling and new things, because all of those plans have been have been put in into this year. Um, so we've got a year of crazy travel and adventure. Um, our first, our first one was just recently. We went over the Easter holidays to Costa Rica, and um, that was our first sort of big foreign, non-European adventure holiday. Where, you know, we arrived in the airport, and our kids went, "Well, what are we doing?" And and although we planned quite a lot, you know, we we often turned to them and said, "I have no idea." I don't know what we're doing. I don't know where the driver is. I don't know how to get to this place, but we'll figure it out. And 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 I think they quite enjoyed that um, camaraderie of it not being maybe what we normally do and very different. So perhaps that's also an age thing that they're a little bit older and that communication is there. So you've gone from infants through to teens, so you're a little bit... At the- older than where Rosalind is Mm. and which is the easiest age group to travel with so far and do you have any tips on traveling with babies going up to where the age of your where your kids are now yeah I mean I would say that it's the easiest is is really probably the stage that I am in I mean it probably starts a little bit earlier maybe from six I'd say it's um, it, it be- travel becomes so much easier. They can carry their own rucksacks. They can amuse themselves. They quite happily will watch twenty hours of uh, their iPad, um, and they engorge themselves on rubbish food and they're thrilled with it and it seems like an adventure just being on the plane. So I'd say sort of probably from about five or six, they're really uh, easy to travel with, and now especially. Um, and um, and incredibly capable and actually really helpful because I've all I've I've taught mine to also pack, how to pack, how to think about what they need, and I've started training them in how to be self sufficient rather than ending up going to university and going, I can't pack, my my mum's not here, so I I really have started that kind of process with them, um, and. When they're youngest, tips I would give is really the biggest tip. It sounds such a silly thing, but it really, I needed to say it to my husband a fair few times, is that this journey isn't about you. So I think when you're single or when you're in a couple and you don't have children, getting on the plane, especially when you work a lot, can be a holiday in itself. It's time to switch off. Your phone doesn't work. You can read your book. You can watch a movie. And it feels rather like the perfect way to slip into a holiday. Whereas actually when you've got a very young child, it's the polar opposite. And my husband was always really resentful that, you know, he couldn't read his newspaper and he couldn't. I said to him, you have to you have to give up. You have to mentally accept that it's not about you. In fact, this plane journey is where you are 
the, you know, the child amuser. Your job is to literally keep them from driving everyone else on the plane mad. So that means reading the same story 20 times. And it means having a bag of lots of tricks with little toys. And it means picking them up every time they hurl them on the floor and jigging them and singing them nursery rhymes in their ear and having 20 dummies on hand because they'll throw them under the seat and all those things. And, um, and it really is just knowing that that's your job. And I think once you put yourself into that mindset of you're there for them, then it, you can let go of a lot of that anxiety. Yeah, I'm, I'm at such a different stage, Deborah, but, but all of that really resonates for me. Um, the dummies, you know, having a thousand of them in your pocket because they are going to fling them and you're going to look awkwardly at the air hostess who picks them up and then asks if they can wash it for the, you know, hundredth time. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's just completely shifted. And, you know, as we, I felt like we were sort of a couple yesterday and I laugh at the things that used to bother us, you know, the, the delayed flight or the taxi that was a bit late or all of these things, which now are just completely small fry in comparison um, to the kind of, you know, trials and tribulations you go through just to get your kids into a, um, into a different country. Um, I have really noticed um, just the sort of style of our holidays obviously has dramatically changed. And what I was potentially a bit snobby about before the sort of all inclusive is suddenly incredibly appealing. Um, not having to think about where you're going to book them in for lunch, for, you know, for supper, for, for anything. Um, and just... <sighs> Also, not feeling like you're treading on eggshells. And, um, you know, I've, I've had to sort of review hotels, uh, really smart restaurants, um, where it is work, technically, as much as it's lovely. And, you know, we've had to bring Hermione, my 11-month-old, with us. And she's just not playing ball. You know, for the other three nights, she was perfectly asleep on the table in her in her bassinet. This is when she was sort of four months old. And suddenly that night, the one night that I really need her and just hope and pray that she's going to fall asleep, she's awake all evening doesn't want to settle and so you know she ends up sitting up and enjoying the meal with us and occasionally you know my husband would take her outside if she's crying but I just think my main thing now is to go somewhere where I don't feel like that where I don't feel on edge and where I know that the hotel or wherever we're staying has got enough space for me to you know escape if I need to um and also to still benefit from that sort of um you know, being, I guess, pampered and being fed and have, not having to do any housework, which is why we all go on holiday. So it's quite a simple formula really now, um, but it couldn't be more different to, for example, our honeymoon trekking through Brazilian jungles and riding horses into, you know, the hills of Catisaba. <laughs> it's now, it's more survival, but sort of trying to weirdly enjoy that survival, if that makes sense. It makes absolute sense. So you mentioned all-inclusive or dining or even particular restaurants. Um, I know when I'm booking a trip now, uh, it might be an earlier dinner or it might be much later, hoping that she's sleeping by then. What does your pre-trip research look like, Rosin? Um, well, I, I guess, as I said, it's, it's completely changed now. Um, when it's not with work, even if, it's in, if it is with work, to be honest, I will ask them about their you know, how family friendly they are. And what I've noticed, I actually wrote a piece for Traveller recently about baby friendly and toddler friendly hotels, because my goodness, it's different to a family friendly hotel. You get a lot of hotels that say, you know, we're family friendly, and then you turn up with a baby and they just sort of don't really know what to do. Um, whereas, you know, baby and toddler friendly hotels, they're going to have your 
sterilizing machine. They're going to have cots. They're going to have the monitor situation sorted. They might have babysitting included. They, they've, they've really got it down. Whereas the family friendly ones, you know, it's sort of a, a tag that they put on there, but that could just be that they've got a kids club that you can bung, you know, your sort of five-year-old in, which is a lot, it's very different. So that's... Absolutely. Yeah, a lot, a lot of those places, I think, don't have, um, let's say they're family friendly, they actually then don't tell you that they're not, they don't accept kids under five. And so you do need to ask those questions. And I think you don't know it until you turn up and you've made a mistake and and, and, you're, and you're stuck with your kids um, thinking they had a kids club that would take them. Or take they might take two and not the third, which drives me mad. Or they don't open at their restaurant until after seven thirty. Another thing that drives me mad. When I was had younger kids, yeah, yeah, that's an, and and also I'm so I'm going to France tomorrow with with Hermione, and it's trying to work out if you know if they're happy to deliver food to your room. So often you can have a really nice, you know, if you've got a nice balcony, then that's a lovely setup. That you and your husband or you and whoever can have. Um, you know, share, that you can still enjoy the same restaurant food, but just, you know, you're there if you're uncomfortable with a babysitter. But there are lots of ways around it. I think room service is a good one. Um, but but I do think it is a struggle um, for a lot of young families to enjoy hotels that they used to go to and love. And I think that hotels will need to change that, especially with British travellers, because I think before, I'd say in the last five years, there's been a real shift. Whereas before, you know, in, in the UK, it would be kind of a bit taboo to bring your children to certain restaurants or to certain hotels. Whereas increasingly, I think we're almost echoing how, you know, the Italians and the French are with their children, they sort of bring them anywhere. And I think that's brilliant. And it's just, you know, it is a bit of pressure on hotels to try and still stay chic and keep the hotel smart for the people who are coming without children and don't necessarily want a family friendly hotel. But also, really catering to those families who are coming and, and they just really want to relax. You know, they don't want to feel that they have to completely throw off their routine just for the sake of being in this smart hotel and saying that they went abroad. Um, so, yeah, it's a challenge, but I think um, it's something that hotels are, are sort of constantly thinking about now. I have to agree with you, uh, Rosalind, about the balcony. I, I think that for me was one of the biggest and the best tips I got when I first had my son, because of course you're going into this new parenthood and they nap an inordinate amount, and um, not everyone can afford to take a nanny with them, or someone, or, or wants to leave their child with a with someone that they don't know. And so they actually, uh, one of my best friends gave me the advice was like, make sure that you book a hotel in the summer with a fantastically big balcony that faces the sun because actually whilst he napped for two hours I was able to lie outside on a sun lounger and read my book and that was just such a huge part of the holiday. Yes and it feels like such an achievement doesn't it when you get there? It really does because again you know you're amusing them and you take them in the pool and you're checking for their safety and you're feeding them and really you're looking after them so those moments where, where you get on your own um, where you're you and you get to do the thing that you love you know it's really important for me I'm a bit of a sun worshiper so it's lying in the sun with a book nothing better no I I, I really I, I really um I know what you mean I, I think Having that awe, what we had recently was we stayed in this amazing place in, um, it was on the slopes of Etna in um, Sicily. And it was called, I'm going to completely butcher the pronunciation, but it was Monaci della Terra Nera. And um, it was a sort of um, one of Sicily's first beautiful kind of agriturismo, very um, luxurious, but equally also very bucolic and rustic. 
And um, I thought the setup just suited young families so well because it had the main hotel and pool area, which was, you know, you did have to dress up for supper. It was very smart. But you then had cottages that were on the estate, which were further away. So you felt that you could kind of escape when you needed to. You could be in your own bubble and you could kind of, you know, join the, the rest of the everyone else who was staying at the hotel when you felt it was right. Um, you didn't feel as though at night, if the baby woke up, it would wake people up in the next door room, which is one of my worst feelings in the world. Um, and you also were able to still, you know, benefit from that delicious breakfast. And you could even take it in turns if you wanted to really enjoy it without the baby. It was just a really nice setup of a kind of half, it was sort of halfway between a hotel and a villa. Um, and, and it really made me think, yeah, that's how I'd like to holiday with young children. I think it's the best way. That's really helpful advice. I mean, firstly, even checking what family friendly means, as opposed to child friendly or baby friendly or toddler friendly. I think that's incredibly useful to know the balcony as well are there any other bits and bobs that you think are really useful for for people to know who are looking at family travel or, or traveling with young children I I suppose I mean that's like I said one of the one of the reasons why we kept on repeating what we did is we found a formula in a place that worked for us um, and actually interestingly enough we um, so we always did um, we did a mixture of sort of hotel and villa and and really partly because half of you wants to go away on holiday and have someone else cook for you and have someone else sort of make your bed and just so that you don't have to do it. But then there is that onus of getting all your kids dressed and out and at the restaurant and um, corralling everyone. And then at the same time, when you rent your own place, what's lovely about having a holiday villa, we have a we have our own villa, luckily enough, in, in Ibiza. And that idea of having everything there, not needing to take a lot with, um, and just sort of rolling out of bed and buying a couple of pastries and just sitting by the pool and really not doing a lot is also heavenly as well. So I think the key is, is, is as with anything to do with parenting, um, I always find that everything changes. And so you just get one thing sewn up and you think, okay, I've got that. I've got the the sleeping nailed or I've got the, 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 the different feeds or the different food nailed. And then of course your baby changes and grows and develops. And it's sort of a, a similar thing with travel in a way that your dynamic and what you need as a family constantly evolves. And I think that talking with your partner about you know, what does work for you, what you loved, what you didn't love. We we went this year for the first time actually skiing, but stayed in a chalet rather than in a hotel, which I had always been resistant to because I didn't want to be skiing all day and then coming back and cooking and tidying and all this sort of thing. But it actually gave us as a family lots of really lovely downtime where we played board games or we'd watch a movie together. Um, And we didn't, I didn't have to get dressed up. We stayed in our leggings and our sweaters and just really kind of hunkered down and were really cozy. And actually, I was quite surprised at how much I enjoyed that sort of chalet rental as opposed to kind of hotel, which we'd always done when skiing. So I think that um, different ages, different times in your life um, can, you know, you need different things. Yes. I, I think if you do have somewhere abroad that is in your family or anything, but obviously that's a very privileged few, then that's amazing. But um, 
I think the other thing that I've realized is that a lot of people often tend to think that they can't go abroad because it's too much stress with young children. So instead, they're going to hop in a car and, and go all the way to Cornwall. And I think Cornwall is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. But if you are stuck with a young child screaming on a motorway in traffic, there is literally nothing worse. And I'm far more of an advocate of just, you know, getting to the airport, getting on a plane. And, you know, it can be a sort of one hour, under an hour um, journey to wherever you're going. That is, funnily enough, for me, and anyway, it's been a lot less stressful than being stuck in British traffic going down to the south coast. Um, The other thing is to, with really little children, is there are some brilliant, brilliant UK hotels that really do cater to um, babies. Um, there's sort of Calcott Spa, their one is brilliant. Um, Middleton Lodge up north in Yorkshire, they just, the owners have two two very young children, so they just know all of the kind of pain points of, of traveling with young kids and, and have really, you know, made it so breezy for parents. Um, but it still feels chic. It doesn't feel kind of overrun with... Um, you know, uh, kids sort of running around everywhere. It definitely, they've definitely sort of separated it and made it a big enough space for lots of families to, you know, enjoy. Um, and I think my my other tip would be, and I only say this as somebody who's had to review lots of hotels in one journey. So I, I did a trip through um, Italy. Um, it was started in Madrid, then went to Milan and down to Sicily. And I um, had to review hotels. Obviously, it was sort of two nights at each hotel. And um, everyone thought I was completely mad to go and bring uh, the 11 month, well, at the time, sorry, four month old baby. Um, but I I found it, yeah, I found the movement very stressful because you'd sort of take out all of their bits, you know, gosh, they travel with so much stuff. And I've never quite mastered that one, but I seem to always travel with this huge, huge bag of all of her things. And, you know, getting that into kind of really sweet boutique hotels in Milan is just not, it's not a kind of chic move. And then also trying to unpack that and then repack it, it just takes up so much time. So I think most parents, I think, will will say advice wise for, for young children is try and go somewhere and really, you know, stay there for at least three or four nights, because otherwise, you just spend your holiday packing and unpacking and packing and, and you, you can never kind of get into a rhythm at the new place. Yeah, I mean, we we normally stay in just one place. We really have, I've never moved. Uh, we go somewhere and it's for a week or it's for two weeks and that's it. And actually, when we went to Costa Rica recently at Easter, that was the first holiday that I did with my three where we traveled um, through the country, um, moving around every three days. Um, so, staying in lots of different places and I was initially quite anxious about the packing and the repacking because although I don't have toddlers anymore I have teenagers who are not known for being neat and tidy <laughs> they do they love flinging their clothes around um so um I I became a lover and proponent of the packing square um and um, specifically, my favourite are by Antler, which is a British travel uh, suitcase company. And um, and they come in lots of different colours and lots of different sizes. And each child got given a colour and all their stuff was in the packing squares in soft bags. And we would arrive and they would literally just take the squares out and put them on the shelf and you didn't even unpack what was in them, but one would have t-shirts and one would have shorts and one would have socks and underwear, etc. cetera. And, um, and then, the, you know, they would just fling them back in the, in the case and we zip it up and go. And it worked 
remarkably well. I was sort of quite honestly patting myself on the back, thinking how <laughs> clever I'd been. Uh, I was going to say they need to create one of those for, for babies. They, they just don't have any good, well, maybe I'm missing it, but I haven't seen any good suitcases for toddlers that are actually you know, sort of okay for adults to wheel. I mean, most of the stuff I find with toddlers, my husband wouldn't be seen dead wheeling that through airports but um, or carrying it. But there just doesn't seem to be anything that sort of suits all of the various bits and bobs that you have. For, and you then end up bringing separate bags and one big suitcase and you've got sort of so many liquids. Whereas I think for older children, as you say, you can, you can sort of... Um, uh, you can, yeah, create more of a strategy when it comes to packing. But um, but I do I do try and be as um, I I try and basically take as few bags as I possibly can. But it just it's strange because every time I've gone away, I've always run out of clothes, and I've always had to sort of find a dry cleaner or, or ask the hotel to clean loads of uh, Hermione's bits because they just always seem she seems to go through more of it when we're traveling. But um, yeah, I think as she gets older, it will get slightly easier. But if I ever was traveled to, I just that that's what I'm sort of slightly fearing is having two at different stages. So you've got kind of, you know, a, a, a toddler's bag and their packing elements, and then you've got a baby stuff. It, I have to say that is tricky. I had I have two years between my oldest two, and then I have three years between the next lot. And, um, and yeah, that, that it double your time doing anything, leaving the house, <laughs> doing anything. It is. It's just having enough, you know, for what they're doing and the different stages they're at. Yeah. Until they get, till you get them all out of nappies and et cetera. Yeah. But I think everyone struggles with that. Rosalind, you mentioned Calcott and Middleton Lodge. I'd love to hear um, any others and also from you, Deborah, destinations or accommodations for families that you highly recommend that really cater well to children of all ages. Um, so I think it so depends on many things. Like it depends on people's taste. It depends on their budgets. Um, it depends on, you know, so many things. If they can sort of tack on a holiday onto seeing their parents, um, there are, there are lots of moving parts, but I would say in terms of very, very high end, um, Cheval Blanc, I was so impressed by their family offering. I've reviewed their hotel in Courcheval and their hotel in Saint-Tropez, which is where I was last week. Um, I mean, their, their um, children's sort of, they have a whole floor for children in, in the, um, the Saint-Tropez Courcheval um, chalet. And it's on. It puts sort of every smart London nursery to shame. It's really just <laughs> extraordinary. And they, they sort of go out into the snow and go foraging and have a great time. And um, there's you know a real kind of multi generational um, group of guests there. There were when we were there. Um, and I actually really regretted not bringing Hermione on that trip because I just thought, gosh, she's, she would have had such a lovely time, you know, playing with all these toys. And we could have gone skiing and not had to worry. And actually, the, the woman who um, the lovely lady who is in charge of the um, sort of kids club there. She's been there for, I think, sort of 12 years. So a lot of the families come back because they have, you know, they trust her and they know her. And I think that is a big thing with, with travel, with children, family travel, is that if there's not that trust there, a lot of parents feel strange just sort of leaving their children with someone they've never met before. Um, so I think that's their kind of, you know, it's amazing that the hotel can sort of boast that. Um, another one that I'm reviewing um, tomorrow is Terre Blanche in France. And I'm really excited to um, check out their sort of toddler slash family offering. Um, it's a really beautiful um, sort of, I mean, it's wrapped in sort of these beautiful fields in, in Provence. And um, 
have got lots of lovely wine places to, to visit nearby, which obviously it doesn't help much with um, little tiddly tots, but um, it's still, you know, you can go on lots of walks. They've got an amazing pool. They can bring your food to your room. It's all very flexible. Um, and I mean, I've got so many, this list could go on forever and ever, but um, one that I think is quite interesting to talk about because it's so not normally my style of travel at all, um, is um, this place that's just opened up, um, or it opened up a few months ago in um, Marbella, it's called Icos Andalusia. Again, I, I very much prefer going to small boutique hotels that really have soul and have amazing stories and, you know, the, the owners tend to kind of chat to you and that's sort of my style of travel. This one is very much resorty, but it's set up by a Greek hotel group who saw a gap in the market for young families who wanted to basically come on holiday and actually feel looked after rather than constantly having to sort of find their feet and sort of scramble around for routine and for, for bits that they never seem to have in hotels. So we literally arrived and they had these amazing you know, beautiful state-of-the-art bottle sterilizers, baby monitors. They had lifts everywhere, so you never had to lift the the pram. They had amazing stoke cots. They had, you know, all the food. The restaurants were were actually a really good standard for, you know, I, I again had all of my um sort of um preconsidered <laughs> ideas about how this would be shattered. Um, that the restaurants were really great, and you, all you had to do is sort of, you know book in very easily from your hotel room on the day there was no kind of ringing around loads of restaurant stress um they had a separate parents pool so that you know when the kids were in the kids club the parents could go and be away from other children it was so cleverly designed and you know it was on a part of the coast that I would never normally travel to and yet we went back feeling that we'd had a proper break and I just think you kind of have to lose the sort of snobby approaches to travel when you've got kids because ultimately if you don't have that villa that you can you know jet to where all their stuff is you've got to go somewhere that makes your life easy because otherwise you're not going to have a fun holiday and what was the name of that resort oh it was called Ecos Andalusia and hilariously I, I put up some um I put up some posts when I was there and um I, I think I've probably sent around 12 people there with their children because you know they'd sort of tried tried other hotels with young kids and had it had just been a complete disaster and so they'd seen you know some of my Instagram posts about it and you know where is this we, we need to book in um because as I said like what what is appealing to you when you have small children is completely different to what would have been appealing as a couple you know just two years before your, your sort of um antenna for anything changes and um yeah suddenly a, a sterilizer becomes um just as exciting as a bar <laughs> yeah um, do you know, I I cannot uh, recommend any sort of f uh, anything in the sense that very much my husband and I are really, we noticed when we went to Costa Rica, we are the most unresorty, won't play by the book. We've always had... Um, this feeling that our children were going to join our lives rather than change our lives. And so my husband quite staunchly refused to sort of, you know, order children's food from the children's menu. They've had to kind of learn to figure out what might work for them on, on a grown-up menu um, and likewise on a holiday. So 
um, when we were just recently in Costa Rica, we were staying in the most amazing lodges nestled into the rainforest and trekking through the jungle. And then we ended up in a surf, amazing surf place. And then we ate from you know, restaurants on the side of the road. Um, and then the one of the places we did stop was this resort where my kids thought they'd died and gone to heaven. I mean, they couldn't believe that there was this hotel that had mini golf and it had a whole floor just with kids stuff to do and it had um, all these different hot springs and a water slide and a climbing wall of course my husband and I thought it was absolutely horrific and we were we were desperate to leave but they they were they were thrilled so I, I have to say that we you know my poor children generally um, they, they they have to kind of toe the line with what we love and have, have become rather good at it um, rather than, um, yeah, so I've had to be the one taking all the um, sterilizing bits with myself. But I think that, you know, if you can recognize yourself as a parent and what works for you, and there are these places. I mean, when I had my kids, so my, my eldest is 14. Yeah, 14 years ago, hotels didn't do this. Like I said, we used to go to a family-run hotel where the restaurant didn't open until 7.30. So feeding your child at night was really difficult. Now that same hotel has got an amazing kids club. They'll take your kid all day. You can go off skiing. They've got dinner arranged for them. They've got a babysitting service, the whole thing. So just within that time frame of, of having my eldest to now with my younger one, it's, it's amazing how, how much how hotels have changed. I think it's you're so right in terms of just across the board like my mum said when you know when I was little she would the only restaurant she felt comfortable taking me into when I was you know a tiny sprog was literally McDonald's in London she said you just couldn't take children to any restaurants um if they weren't you know above the age of five and were willing to be well behaved because you'd get serious looks from you know the the, the team and I think that really has changed. And I really love that we've become a bit more Italian and sort of European and our, our approach to having children around us. And I hope that COVID played a part in that, that we were able to kind of get rid of this weird professional front that no one has children, they kind of have to hide them in the background. Um, and, and I think that's lovely that, that that's changing in travel and people can enjoy holidays together rather than the parents constantly having to pay for, you know, very privileged ones constantly having to try and pay for babysitters or find any form of childcare, which I think is um, really nice. But saying that, I still think parents do need some time off sometimes. And, and even if that just means sort of, you know, their, their parents taking the children or the babies for a bit, it's always nice to have a little bit of time off when, when you're away. So there's a huge rise in multi-generational travel. And you say, they, they say you can't please everyone. Do you think there's a way to cater to all the family whilst you're traveling abroad or traveling at all? Um, I think so. Um, definitely. I don't see why not. Um, I think it's um, part of being together and enjoying each other's company, whether it's on, you know, we, we I mean, personally as a family, we love the, the Alps and, and, and skiing. But we can go to a resort in Switzerland, for example, and I think if you find the right one that allows for all the different activities that you can do in that resort, whether it's maybe you're you can't ski anymore and you want to be a, and you're a walker. 
but you can access the same restaurants that the skiers are at, or you might be into doing cross country. And likewise, you can access those same restaurants and you can go sledging and you can go skiing and they've got the ski school and obviously being ski in, ski out is really helpful. All those sorts of things can mean that you can get multi-generational um, holidays working really positively. I mean, I think certainly from a from a family perspective where you've got maybe teenagers um, and parents where um, you want to, to keep your children engaged. I think for me, that's those are the holidays that I'm looking for now in how do I connect with my children and keep them excited and interested and obviously off their devices um, and and open them to kind of the world and the excitement of the world. And I think that was one of the reasons why we opted for somewhere like Costa Rica, which is such a fantastic first place to, to go visit because it's really very safe to travel to. It's um, it's very tourist friendly. It's very pro families. Um, it's got a huge slant on ecotourism, which my children, having grown up, you know, in in the times we are, are very very much pro environment. So for them, being able to be in companies that care about the environment and hotels that take that really very much as, as, a, as a really key factor to their tourism um, was it really exciting for them. And then that, that holiday itself was really adventurous. And so it kept them constantly on their toes discovering new things. So um, we did another holiday, in fact, to Montana, where we went ranching um, in America. And again, that was another really great activity holiday that the, the whole family could go on from riding and cattle ranching to um, white water rafting and archery and climbing through trees. And um, that was another really exciting outdoor adventure. Um, I, I mean, just to add on, I think, um, as you say, that, that going on going on anything multi-generational is so fun, so long as... Um, so long as you find something that everyone's into, I always think it. I always think it's such a shame when you hear of somebody going, for example, on a ski holiday, and you know the dad or the mum doesn't want to ski. And so as long as they have something, you know, they can go and hang out in the spa or something. As long as you make it work for everyone, um, rather than have someone sort of dominating and you know heading somewhere where not everyone is potentially going to have a good time. Um, I think if you've got that sorted, then then you'll have a have a fantastic time. But I mean. I'm so looking forward to being at Deborah's sort of phase in life because my husband and I, like my husband adores skiing. It's his absolute passion. He goes sort of hella skiing off in Norway. Um, his his father's Norwegian. And then I enjoy riding. So I did a sort of riding safari through Botswana. Um, I've done um, all sorts of riding holidays. Um, and, and that, you know, that for me is just, it kind of takes the holiday up a level and you, you get to explore it literally from a different perspective but um so it'll be really exciting when I can when I can do that with my daughter but I think for now in terms of multi-generational holidays um I think you know if I'm being totally honest it's fantastic because if I were to go with my parents they can take Hermione for an afternoon so then Ollie and I can have some alone time you know and just literally walk into the town and that in itself feels like a trip to the spa um, you know when you've got some time off um but I think it's also just amazing to kind of you know when you pull people away from their chores in in their everyday life and and to different territories and different lands they they sort of are more open to creating bonds with with people there and they're more 
open to conversation and and you I think children create really special bonds with you know with with everybody their their parents with their grandparents with their uncles and aunts um when they're willing to give them the time basically and they're willing to you know play that extra game with them or that they're willing to kind of you know um tickle them and and all of these things that they may not have time for when they're at home I think it's a psychological shift as well as a geographical one um that makes it so special when it's multi-generational um yeah I I also think again I'm slightly changing the question sorry but I think I really, really cherish, and I know my husband did as well, having time away, because I came from a very big family, having time with, for example, just going, I went to St. Petersburg with my dad, I, I went to Paris with my mum, you know, I, I explored Tasmania with my my youngest brother, who I otherwise would probably not have spent much time with in the UK, definitely not one-on-one. On, one on one. And um, you, you do, you just create these amazing memories, and it's so special to have that time if you are in a big family my husband, when he's one of five boys and when they all, all hit 13, his dad, as a kind of tradition, would take them to all corners of the world. You know, they choose where they want to go. And he went to Asia. I think he went to sort of three countries in Asia. And then my uh, his um, his brother uh, went to Africa on safari. And they just have the most incredible memories from these trips. And they really bonded with their dad in a way that I just don't think they would have if they were at home. It, it's so special. And funnily enough, we do that with not quite the same, but we do something similar with our kids. Um, again, at at, um, at 13, um, they get to choose a city or a place in, but it has to be in Europe. So it can't be kind of worldwide. And they get to, and we take them just sort of mum, dad and the child. They have to do like a little pitch where they'd like to go and why they'd like to go. And then, um, I know, and then we book it up together. We try and really involve them in what, you know, to include them in, in what are we booking and why are we booking it and to do some really good, some research to, to show them kind of, A, the effort that goes in, but also to make them feel already connected to the place. And then, um, and then we go off on our adventure, just at the three of us. And it makes them feel so special to have that mum and dad time on our own and also to discover a new place, um, just as a, you know, a, away from the siblings so there's that because there always always is that sibling rivalry and so having something that's just for them is really special um so my son chose venice um which we did last november and it was utterly glorious um for three days and then my daughter for next year she's chosen amsterdam she loves cycling and she loves the idea of cycling in a city so that's kind of really what led her to amsterdam so we're gonna we're starting to do the research at the moment amazing i also think i mean i'm sure you you see it deborah but you're kind of stirring passions within your children when you're taking them to these places that feel distinctly theirs you know they, they can sort of take ownership of of those passions that that they find you know they might they might go somewhere and, and decide that they really love sailing and that they want to then take that up or or they might even just be really interested in you know speaking to somebody at the hotel about cooking and then they get really into cooking when they come home I think it's going away it, it, it sort of exposes them to so many new things that they then can 
build on and develop that passion. And I'm saying this obviously as my experience from my own family, um, you know, my my siblings as opposed to Hermione because she's still so young. Um, and I think the only passions we're kind of stirring at the moment is is that she's eating some exotic fruit here and there. But um, and I think yeah, it's just so important, isn't it? To and that doesn't need to be really far away for people who can you know only really afford to maybe go down to the coast in the UK, like even just getting out of your daily routine and exposing your kids to new environments and and new people and making them feel inspired by other people, I think is so important to sort of building them as people. I think you've kind of answered one of my questions, but what do you think the most rewarding elements are of traveling with kids? I know there's the, you've talked about the adventure and, and you know, developing those interests perhaps, but for, for you, are there any particular elements that you, are particularly satisfying? Um, I think that really seeing something through a child's eyes straight away gives you that remembers and reminds you of the excitement you had as a child and seeing something new for the first time. Um, I think it gets it out of your, gets you out of your comfort zone as well. I mean, I'm someone that, like I said, I'm really happy to sit and read a book on a sun lounger. So actually, um, going out and discovering new places, a lot of that impetus is done to show it to my kids, but it means that I'm also seeing it through their eyes. And I find that really exciting. I completely agree. It's so funny, even, I mean, she's only one, but just seeing Hermione eat her first French croissant or seeing her, you know, first dip her feet into the sea and just, it suddenly, it becomes quite visceral and you suddenly, you suddenly, yeah, it takes you back a bit, but it also gives you a new appreciation for everything that you maybe took for granted before because it was just the water or it was just another croissant you know it's it's so interesting how you suddenly look at it through through a new set of lenses I also think um for me it's just the funny moments that just crack you up so we had one where you know Hermione had got a bit older and was able to kind of um control herself a bit more on a flight and there was this crying baby um (laughs) who was not far away from us and Hermione was sat there looking at it really you know sort of she was quite shocked that this baby could cry on the plane and just moments like that it's just so funny where you crack up and you know you kind of need a little bit of light relief because it is so stressful um and you know you, you get moments where like I've had moments where I've seen her just sort of about to throw lob a massive ball of bolognese on a really expensive hotel wall and you know wallpaper and things like that where you slightly have to relax and just think you know what will be will be because otherwise you're just going to be constantly on edge for this entire trip and you're not going to enjoy it but I think I hate to say it and I know this is probably not the right thing to say as a mother but the most rewarding part I find is when she's in bed and as we said Deborah when you can have that glass of rosé on the terrace with your husband who you've probably not even been able to look at in the face the entire day because you've just been trying to sort of manage this baby and, and keep everything afloat and her routine going and you have, you know, a lovely glass of wine and it's really quiet and you can't be noisy anyway because you can't wake her. But that's nice. And, you know, it's just it's that is such a rewarding feeling. And it's such a yeah a huge achievement um, after you've been kind of you know, basically shade bathing all day and <laughs> avoiding the sun and all of these things. Um but, but yeah, obviously the other elements are rewarding. But for me, it's it's sort of um, managing to balance it so you then also find time for yourself in the evening as well. Are there any destinations you think are going to be particularly popular for families this year? I think increasingly that people shouldn't rule out the north of France, I, northern France. I think that they do because they think that it could be like British weather. But if you are wanting to take a car, if you've got kids and you feel that 
you know, you've got a few children, you feel that it's easier to bung everything in, which goes against what I was saying earlier, but it's not actually too far if you're you know, near the south. Then, you know, Brittany and, and various areas in Normandy, they've got some really beautiful, for example, chateau and, and lovely villas to rent. Um, I also think that it's quite a strange one because we found this when I was a, a traveller that there's a sort of mix of people wanting to stay closer to home because they're a bit nervous about uh, going too far and booking something that gets, you know, cancelled last minute. But then you've got, on the other hand, you've got people who are very carpe diem and thinking, okay, this could be taken away from us at any moment. So let's just hop on a plane and go somewhere completely exotic and, you know, have an amazing time and make those memories. And I think it's really interesting how people have such different approaches to the situation. But I wouldn't be surprised if you're seeing, you know, a lot of the sort of safaris, the kind of, you know, adventurous trips into South America, you know, Patagonia with children. I think people will want to do that because they feel as though perhaps that could be taken away from them at any moment. Yes, I mean, certainly in, with the contemporaries with uh, of mine who've got children our age, they are definitely going for big adventure holidays. They're going for far-flung and they're just going, you know, all in, basically. Yeah, really traveling through Patagonia, going going to through Mexico, um, slightly less with Asia, just because Asia has been quite closed. We were meant to go to Japan on a big tour and that's been postponed three times. We were meant to do Olympics, then again Olympics, then again this year in um, in, in the spring. Um, and now we've postponed that until next year to do that. But, um, but yeah, I think certainly amongst um, slightly older children, they're really going for big experiences. And I have one final question. What has been your most memorable family vacation so far? Oh, um, I, I mean, I suppose it's obviously the, the slightly the freshest, really. I suppose for me, it's it's going to be between um, the Wyoming, not Wyoming, sorry, the Montana holiday ranching, and then the Costa Rica one that we just did. Um, but we are about to embark on this summer, which is um, we're we're touring through the west coast of america through the national parks with a giant winnebago we're like the, the family on tour we're going with my brother and all our kids and we're going camping to yosemite and uh grand canyon and bryce and zion and um sequoia and we're going all through that and it was a holiday that that my brother and well my brothers and I did when 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 I was 14 we did it as a family and I think that was such an iconic holiday for us um that um we've been talking about it ever since and so in fact we're reenacting that family holiday with our own families this summer so I think probably though we haven't done it yet I think that's gonna that's I'm extremely excited about doing it Wow. It's so funny because I did uh, the Grand Canyon with my family when we were 14 as well. We did a, my, my aunt and uncle live in Arizona. And so we did a trip where well, they used to live there. We did a trip from there all the way up, but we got to Vegas and my dad sort of suddenly realized that actually none of his kids are old enough to do anything. <laughs> so 
I remember getting, just getting kicked out of a casino as a 14. It was it was quite a hilarious experience. But um, That's so funny. We, in fact, we ended up staying, I mean, I'm a bit older than you, but we ended up staying in a casino, which I, I don't even know if it exists anymore, but it was it's called Circus Circus. That's exactly and where we stayed. No. Well, you know why? It's the casino from James Bond from Diamonds Are Forever. It was like a really big deal when I was growing up. So that's where we stayed. It had, um, I remember it had that roller coaster going all the way through it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think to answer your question, um, for me, it was um, traveling through Sicily, actually. I, I've written a lot about Sicily. Um, it's somewhere that I just adore. Um, I think it's got a sort of scruffy but also splendid side to it. And for me, the reason it was so special was to take Hermione back to somewhere that I love um, was, you know, to, to sort of go to the same places, but also that Italian embrace for children is just, there's nothing like it. You know, they make you exhale whenever you go into a restaurant. They're, they're so um, open and and kind and wonderful with children, which I think is completely baked into their culture, um, you know, to the point where we came home and, and um, Hermione like couldn't believe that people weren't squeezing her hands constantly and telling her how wonderful and beautiful she was. She just sort of got so much attention. Um, and London's very different to that. Um, but I think, yeah, it was, we just were really lucky with the places we stayed in because they were, I was actually reviewing it for work, but it was places that, as I said, had that amazing balance of having a, a sort of um, almost a villa style kind of cottage that was on land that you could go there and sleep and not wake everyone up if she was making a noise. And then you could come back into the main hotel for lunch and breakfast, etc. So there was like a really nice mix of having that kind of villa feeling, but also having the spoiling, um, you know, treatments and spa treatments, everything from a hotel. Thank you both so much. Gosh, there's so many lovely tips in there on hotel recommendations and exciting travels and all um, with a well-deserved glass of wine at the end on a terrace. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Um, I wish you excellent travels this summer with your families. Where can we follow you and your travels on social media? Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I, I love talking about the holidays because you can you relive them in your mind's eye and you remember how wonderful they were. And, um, I can't wait for this summer, which is going to be a bit of an adventure, like I said, for me. Um, but at my Instagram, which is at Deborah Brett. Well, thank you so much as well. And um, I actually feel as though I want to pitch for one of Deborah's holidays now. They sound fabulous. <laughs> um, but um, no, my um, Instagram is at Rosalind Whiteley. And um, yeah, I've really enjoyed talking about holidays and travel. And it's made me want to go and book something right now. Thank you for listening. I really hope you're enjoying the Citizen Femme podcast. If you haven't listened to the first three seasons, please do. We're on Spotify and iTunes. And of course, like and share with anyone you think that might be interested. Until the next time.